0: Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in 3, 2, 1. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Alina Lee, founding partner of Your Ad Attorney. Alina, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Ale. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to hear about what you do because you have a very interesting niche. Your niche is in advertising law, which is not something I hear about every day. So I would love to get your perspective. What do you love about advertising law?
1: Oh, There's so many things I love about advertising law. I think my favorite part is really working with non-attorneys, working with business folks, creative people, people who actually create the advertising, create the messaging, and have a completely different skill set than I do. It really helps to you know, broaden my horizons and, and what I know about, about the world. And advertising is a really interesting business. There are many different facets to it, and it's a pretty complicated area.
0: Oh, I can only imagine. And you're dealing with lots of creative types, which must be really interesting for you as an attorney, allows you to maybe get creative too. And you recently started your firm. Is that right?
1: I did. I just started my law firm this February. I had previously worked at MailChimp, which is a tech company that specializes in providing marketing tools to small business owners. And before that, I was in-house at Southern Company Gas. And I was one of two attorneys that handled all the day-to-day legal matters for Georgia Natural Gas. Before that, I worked at a couple other law firms. So it's uh, it's great to be on my own. And and learn about all the different facets of being a business owner, not just practicing law.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the other aspects of being a business owner that you find really interesting?
1: Well, my favorite part is the business development. I really enjoy meeting new people, getting to know them, connecting and building relationships, and you know, having your own business is kind of the perfect excuse to do a lot of that.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I'm really enjoying it. You know, just meeting people and connecting and networking is something that I did a lot of anyways, even when I was in-house. And, you know, most a lot of in-house attorneys don't really do a lot of networking because you don't really need to outside of their company. I mean, but I've really been able to lean into that skill set of mine and just have fun with it.
0: So given that you've recently launched your firm and you're obviously you know a natural connector and enjoy connecting with folks and talking with them and engaging with them, take us back to that aha moment and maybe tell us a little bit of the story behind your decision to leave MailChimp and start your own firm.
1: Sure. You know, we'll say it wasn't really one moment, but lots of different moments over the last few years that really brought me to where I am. You know, I'm the kind of person who likes to think really intentionally about what I'm doing and what my goals are, but I'm also really flexible. And so, you know, like I said, in the past, nine years of my legal career. i worked at two law firms, worked in-house at two companies, and am now starting my own law firm. I love to learn and grow and see where life takes me. And I really think that I started to think more deeply about what I enjoyed about the practice of law. And I realized that owning my own law firm probably would be the best fit for you know my hopes and dreams for you know designing my life as a whole. You know, I do a lot of volunteer work and I helped to start a nonprofit in Atlanta about five years ago called Wheel of Buford Highway, and it supports the multicultural diversity of the Buford Highway community in the Metro Atlanta area. It's one of the most diverse communities in the Southeast United States. And you know, I do a lot of pro bono work through Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta. I'm actually a founding member of their 40 and under steering committee. And, you know, I'm really, I've sat on, I think, four or five other nonprofit boards as well. I really wanted to have more flexibility to do the community work and volunteer work that's important to me. And I also wanted to help more like everyday business owners. You know, my parents owned small businesses and we're kind of serial entrepreneurs, which is very common for immigrant families. And, um, you know, working in big law, working in corporate America, you're not exactly helping the little guy. Nope. <laughs> and so I thought like, gosh, you know, I feel like I have this re- unique skill set and I have, you know, the dream and the desire to help my community and help the little per- the little guy achieved their big dreams in life. And so I decided to make the leap and, and I'm so happy I did because that's what I'm doing. I've, I've, you know, continued my volunteerism. I've actually even joined a new board. It's called the a pledge and they support D and I work in the marketing industry And I'd say about 90% of my clients are small businesses that have five or fewer employees. And that feels great.
0: So not only are you now able to increase your volunteerism and your community service efforts, but now you're actually able to directly help a lot of these really small businesses. One, One might even call them micro businesses and help those owners out.
1: That's exactly right. And I tell them I'm I tell them I'm just like you. You know, I'm a solopreneur. I have my own business it's just me. And, you know, I do have a, I do have an intern. And so I know what it's like for you to be starting your business and try to get up and going. And it's beautiful. And I've actually discovered this amazing network in Atlanta. And it's really across the United States of solopreneurs who are there for one another and help each other.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Is that a formal network with a name?
1: it's not actually it's not a formal network interestingly enough but what i've discovered through all the networking i'm i'm doing is i'll usually meet somebody who's also kind of a, a woman entrepreneur and she owns you know a small a small company like i said five or fewer employees and i'll ask her so you know if you had to name one person that you think I should meet, you know, who do you recommend that I connect with? And I like to do that at the end of all of my networking calls. And what I realized started happening was people started saying the same names. They started mentioning (laughs) each other and we're all kind of interconnected in this beautiful web together.
0: Oh, that is wonderful. And uh, attorney entrepreneurs, as you're listening to this, I hope you took note of what Alina is doing here because that powerful question, who do you think I should connect with at the end of a meeting is it can be game changing. And uh, you can see the results here that Alina has achieved by just doing that. So that's great, Alina. And congrats on tapping into that network. What has uh, your, <laughs> I know it's still relatively recent, but so far, what has that entrepreneurial journey been like? for you?
1: Oh, it's been interesting as an attorney. And I I certainly have perfectionist tendencies. I tend to have unrealistic expectations of myself. And, you know, I'm that person who created a literally 40 page business plan before I started (laughs) my law firm, where I tried to plan every little thing out and interviewed a bunch of friends who've done the exact same thing that I'm doing to get their words of wisdom before I made the leap. And, you know, what I've realized is like, certainly some of what I thought would pan out has come to fruition, but I'd say like maybe half of it and the other half, you know, things didn't exactly work out the way I had planned, but some of it was, you know, better than what I had expected. And certainly some aspects were, can be improved upon, (laughs) I would say. But I think the key is to, you know, for me personally, is to take time to, you know, pat myself on the back for what I have achieved and for taking all the little steps that I take every single day to try to achieve these larger milestones and, you know, being understanding and patient with myself that maybe I didn't meet all of the milestones I had planned for myself before I even started this before I even started my business, but knowing that I'm going to get there and that consistency is key.
0: Yeah, I agree. You have, you know, first of all, just making that decision to start your own firm and to do it and to do it successfully and pursue it with gusto, that's terrific. Oftentimes, it it turns out that a lot of what we think is going to happen as we start on the entrepreneurial journey doesn't come to fruition. And that's totally okay, because either you're winning or you're learning, right? And as long as you continue to play the game, either one of those things are going to happen. And so, yeah, you should definitely be proud of what you've done and what you've achieved. I routinely miss my goals because I set them so high. And I like doing that. I like setting really, really crazy goals and falling a little bit short. Is that old saying that right? If you go ahead and, and shoot for the stars, miss, you'll still hit the moon, and that's pretty darn good in and of itself. So kudos to you for sticking with it and pushing through the forty-page business plan that you wrote. I was I was smiling when you mentioned that to me because usually when I work with my clients, I take them through a one-page business plan. Because what we found is that the research and the learning that goes into writing that 40 page or 50 page or hundred page business plan, that is all really, really good and totally worthwhile. But those plans takes long to put them together. And then the never turn out the way you expect. And so (laughs) what we do is we do more of a living document. And so just a quick shout out to the attorney entrepreneurs who are listening. If you want to check that out, just go to the website. There's a button on there to learn more about the business plan. You can get the video and the templates and the worksheet and all that good stuff. And that's on lawfirm So thanks for raising that up to me, Alina. I really appreciate it. And so the
1: roadmap, you don't know, you know, if you're trying to achieve certain goals it's pretty hard to get to your destination without a map.
0: Yes, yes it is. You need to have a destination number 1 and then a map number 2 and if you don't have those two things.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, where are you going? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but every entrepreneur is different. Every entrepreneurial journey and story is different. What are some of the business challenges that you're currently working on?
1: Well, my my two biggest challenges is growing revenue. And, you know, I know that it'll take some time for me to make enough money that like matches what I was making in corporate America. But you know, I've, I've set some realistic goals and some shoot for the stars goals around Mm -hmm. that. And, and I do hope and plan to get back to where I was financially with my corporate America job and, and hopefully surpass it as well. And, you know, that I think business development just takes time and it's about building those relationships And for me, it's about the long game. It's not about the short-term results. It's about building trust today and maybe doing lots of little projects today, but knowing that relationship is going to pay off, you know, 10-fold, 20-fold, if I think about it from the perspective of the next five years, 10 years, 15 years.
0: That's a really healthy perspective to take on things. It's always concerning to me when I'm talking to someone who's just started their law firm and they're expecting to do just as well as they did at, you know, typically they're not coming from in-house. They're they're leaving a law firm to start their own. But either way, it's concerning to me when they have, you know, lofty goals to exceed their, you know, what they were making at their previous role, but they don't have a strong realistic plan To do that, they're just shooting from the hip. And so those expectations are unrealistic and they set themselves up to fail. So it's great that you have a long term perspective. One of the things I found because a lot of my clients and myself too, when I got started, set these revenue goals, right? And we were focused Mm -hmm. on the revenue and the revenue. But that's really an outcome. It's really an outcome of everything else that happens before because you have to build trust, then you have to bring on some potential clients. And some of those you may do pro bono. Some of those you may do at a discount. Some of those you may do at your full fee. And then those clients, you know, start to sell other people, your marketing starts to work, you start to bring on more clients, more of those are at your full rate. The last thing that happens is that your revenue hits the goal.
1: Right. <laughs> Everything else yeah, has to And meanwhile, first. there's like 50 steps before that. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. And so what we found is that, you know, the revenue target's nice and it's good to set that in place, but then almost right away, let go of that and start focusing on activity based goals. So, you know, I'm going to meet with, I'm going to have 15 meetings a week with strategic partners. I'm going to do one speaking engagement a month, you know, those kinds of things that are all going to, if you do those activities, will lead you to those clients, which will lead you to the revenue. It's kind of a weird way of thinking about it,
1: but. That's exactly right. And it's a numbers game, right? Once you know what your conversion rates are and you know what, what activities lead to, results as in, you know, which networking events actually result in sales calls, which folks, when you speak to on your sales calls actually end up becoming clients and then which clients actually give you the type of work that fills you up and, you know, and that you love and enjoy uh, and is also hopefully profitable as well. Like those are all separate, important questions and data points to, to look into You know, I I really enjoy data and and crunching the numbers. I have to kind of stop myself from, (laughs) from getting sucked into it too much.
0: That's cool. It is a lot of fun to crunch numbers and to model things out. One of the things you mentioned that you enjoy doing is business development and meeting people. So that activity, getting out there into the community and, and getting involved and in making those connections, is how the business gets built. And you're absolutely right. The, all the questions you raised about who's a great client and you know what's the right services to offer and, and where you go to find the terrific clients and how do you build those referral sources, those are all questions that have to be answered typically before you hit your revenue goal. And so it, that goes back to trying to figure out, okay, well, if I just do a lot of those those things take a lot of activity massive activity will lead to massive insights which will lead to massive results and so it, i'm really happy to hear that you're that you're pursuing those things thanks yeah and as far as you know i know that business development is key what are some other business challenges that you're working on
1: you know i think pricing is interesting i'm trying to find the right balance of, you know, what's market versus what's the value that I'm delivering Mm -hmm. uh, versus what are my clients expectations as well. And so I find that, you know, I'm still working through like, Oh, you know, what's my pricing model? You know, what provides me with you know, what's the fairest amount to charge for my services that's still like fair to the client? You know, one thing that I think a lot of attorneys do is they kind of just default to the hourly rate. And sure, like the hourly rate is great for you as the lawyer, but it's really not a good experience if you're the client. And so I'm trying really hard to come up with flat rates for my clients. And my clients absolutely love flat rates. They love the idea that, you know, they don't have to be surprised about the services. They, we all know what the scope is going in and we know what, you know, we're planning to get out. And to the degree we can't determine the scope, like say, for example, I'm negotiating a contentious contract. You know, a lot of it depends on, how agreeable the other side is, you know, in that case, I try to bill in small chunks. So I'll actually bill weekly for those clients so that each bill is a small and manageable amount.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting you bring that up, Alina. So kudos to you for going after the flat fee model, because once you're doing that, Now you're basically running your firm like every other business on the planet, which is that you deliver a service for a certain fee. And then your role as a business owner is to figure out ways to deliver that service at that fee, but for a lower cost to you, which means you make more profit while still maintaining or improving the quality of the service. That's the business challenge that every business has. But law firms and other firms that build by the hour don't have that challenge, right? Like they have a whole you could argue that their role is to really take more time than perhaps the client might want because that drives a higher bill. And I know as consumers of attorney services, that is everyone's biggest concern. And you've taken that off the table by going with a flat fee. It is really hard to figure out your pricing. And one of the common ways that I hear about from attorneys is they'll say, well, I'm worth such and such. Right. I'm worth five hundred dollars an hour or I'm worth eight hundred dollars an hour or I'm worth you know three hundred dollars an hour, wherever they think they land on that spectrum. But the interesting thing is no one cares. <laughs> what really matters is what your clients who actually hire you can afford to pay you and what your competition that you compete with for those clients, how they're charging for their services and what rate they're charging for their services. That's what's going to peg the market. So if you charge, if you think you're worth $200 an hour, but you are dealing with clients that expect to pay $800 an hour, great. But if that equation's flipped and you think you're worth $800, but your clients are only able to pay $200 because they don't have any money, then guess what price you're going to have to charge? So how are you going through, and please don't get into numbers on your side, Alina, but how are you going through that process of figuring out what the right rate is, whether it's flat fee or hourly for your services?
1: Well, you know, this is like a common tactic in marketing, and I've certainly applied it to my legal practice, which is A-B testing. And, you know, my clients, some clients i will offer a service at an hourly rate. Well, usually I'll offer either an hourly rate or a flat rate, but then also to do my A-B testing, I also just will offer a flat rate or I'll offer an hourly rate for different types of services and see like, okay, when are clients starting to say like, no, because it's too high And then also to the degree, like maybe I'm providing them with services that are too robust for their needs too. And so also like actually telling my clients, well, the reason why I charge this amount is because like this is the process that I recommend we follow. And sometimes clients will say like, oh, well, I don't need this step or I don't need that step. And then realizing like, oh, okay, well, I can maybe adjust the price or create a different package given that some clients don't need certain parts of the services.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I love the idea of split testing your pricing. I think a lot of people do that when they're just starting out. Something that other people do is they'll talk to other law firms that target the similar market and try and find out how they're charging and structuring their services. But the question I had for you, Alina, you deal with lots of micro businesses. How is it that you landed upon that as your target market?
1: I actually initially wanted to target the mid-market, but what I found was that most companies that are in the mid-market already have a trusted attorney. And so first off, it's harder to break into the middle market Mm -hmm. uh, for that reason. And also there's, there's just so many people who have small businesses who don't have an attorney at all. They either think like, oh, they don't need one, or they think they can't afford one, or they haven't met the right attorney that they truly trust to handle their matters. And like for a micro business, you know, every $500 counts. So, So they tend to really do their homework and they only pick people that they trust. And I guess what I kind of just happened into it, I was targeting small, small businesses, micro businesses and medium sized businesses. (laughs) And I realized that the other businesses that were like me that were starting out were the ones who really needed my legal services the most and getting off on the right foot and like helping them build the confidence that they need, that they're doing things correctly from a legal perspective, like is so much more valuable to them than the business owners who've been doing it for 10, 20 years. And, and what happened was because I started doing more work for these micro businesses, they started referring me to, you know, their networks and all their friends. And then before I knew it, like they were referring other people. And it was actually really interesting. I recently got a Client who referred me to somebody who that person, like the very next day, referred me to another person. And that then that new person had referred me to another person. And all of those referrals happened within like five
0: days. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, I've got to keep up with this.
1: I was like, there's like this chain reaction going here. And so I guess I'm really fortunate that I think it is like, like I said, and I think this goes back to what I was talking about, where there is like this kind of hidden network of small businesses who help and support each other. And, you know, if you're a small business owner, I think there's like this, preference or this tendency to work with other small business owners and support other people who are kind of in the same place as you.
0: Now, Lena, we have a number of attorney entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast. Just recap for me real quickly. What services do you provide?
1: So I provide fractional general counsel services. So I'm basically like the go-to attorney for businesses. I only represent businesses and not individual people. And just like you have your primary doctor who you go to see hopefully every year to get your health checkup. I'm like that, but for your business from a legal perspective. So I help to make sure that your business is running smoothly from a legal perspective that there aren't any material gaps and to the degree there are gaps, you know about them and you can manage them effectively. And you know, I draft and negotiate key contracts, I help from an operations perspective, meaning I look at your communications with your customers, your communications with your vendors, I help make sure that you're managing your legal risks. You know, with all of your key counterparties, you know, to the degree you're planning to launch a new product or service, I do everything from making sure that You know, you have a solid contract in place for how you're going to sell or what the terms are for how you sell your product and service to the disclosures that you need around pricing to make sure there aren't any hidden fees to reviewing the marketing materials to make sure that you're marketing in a way that's fair and transparent to, you know, looking at your day to day labor and employment questions, you know, how making sure you've got good processes in place for how you're hiring uh, your employees with solid offer letters, employee handbooks, and yeah. Outside general counsel. Exactly. I'm really your your one-stop shop outside general counsel. And while I I can handle probably like 90% of most businesses' day-to-day legal needs, if something is very specialized, then I help to procure those special services and then help to make sure that you're being billed fairly and that the work is being done you know, in in top-notch manner every single time.
0: Okay. So then then take me through this because the name of your firm is Your Ad Attorney, but -hmm. it sounds like you do a lot more than just that.
1: (laughs) Yes. When I picked my name, I thought I was going to be doing specifically, mostly marketing and advertising work, just because there aren't that many attorneys um, in the United States really that do marketing and advertising work. But what I realized as I've started my firm is that a lot of people really need more broader general counseling legal advice. And it turns out that my clients tend to fall into four different buckets. So I have clients who are marketing agencies who are tech companies and therefore engaged in a lot of marketing or their e-commerce companies who are also therefore engaging in a lot of online marketing or their business consulting companies actually. And so my clients tend to be in the marketing industry or engage in a lot of marketing. So although their legal needs are broader, I think they come to me because I specialize in marketing and advertising law, technology law and intellectual property law.
0: That's the tip of your spear. Yeah. And I, and I mm-hmm. totally get it because the micro businesses that you also enjoy working with, they do need outside general counsel. They cannot afford to have, you know, an ad specific attorney and an employment law attorney and a business okay. transaction attorney and, you know, on and on and on. So it makes a lot of sense that you would do that. Personally, I'm on my fourth business name in eight years. <laughs> So it's totally common to change the name. If you're doing a market-specific name, totally common to change that as your practice evolves and as your law firm evolves. So that totally makes sense. And and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, Alina, you are really growing. Your firm is growing. You have, you know, you're building out your network in the small business and and consulting space and you're doing a great job. So what excites you about the future?
1: I think that... Because of COVID and because of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement gaining more ground in the past year, people are thinking more deeply than ever before about who they're working with and like what's important to them in their lives. And I think that is beautiful because I think that people are being more intentional about their friendships, their relationships and who they work with and what they what they you know are want and expect from those relationships. I think like people people are being more intentional about who they're working with and I think like women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses are getting I guess more attention now. It used to be that I think there was like a strong preference for working with the big name. And now I think for the first time that I've seen, at least in my lifetime, there is more of an emphasis on diversity and inclusion from like a a vendor perspective and like who you hire and want to work with. Um, And I'm really excited about that. And I'm being really intentional about that, too. And like who I hire and who I want to work with as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's great. And you are just getting started that you have such a bright future ahead of you. You're already getting traction and I expect you'll be scaling up and starting to hire even more resources to grow your firm here in the near future. But Alina, if people wanted to contact you, how should they best do that?
1: Well, my email address is probably the best way to contact me. It's Alina, A-L-I-N-A, at youradattorney.com. So Y-O-U-R-A-D-A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y.com. And you can also go to (laughs) youradattorney.com to see my contact information, reach out. I'm also on LinkedIn and my office number is 404- Nine six five three zero four five, and that actually goes directly to my cell phone.
0: Awesome, Alina! Thank you so much for being a guest on Lawyer Business Advantage. Congratulations on starting your firm, and I wish you all the best as you grow.
1: Thank you so much, Alay. It's been a pleasure.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Alej Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.